This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. This is Art of Darkness. This is a Darkroom episode. This is a Darkroom episode about Roberto Bolaño. Um, and as you know, well, I am Brad Kelly. This is my co-host, Kevin Kautzman, the great Kevin Hi. Kautzman. Hello. We're back. How are you, Kevin? How are you? I'm, I'm very well and uh, still reading poetry in the shower. In the shower. Poems. Oh, yes. Poems oh, yes. in the shower. <laughs> yeah. And I have been working on rolling my R's. Roberto Oh, Bolaño. good. I, have yes. not, I, I can't do it. And it's yeah. again, Brad. It's a tilde over the end. <laughs> We're going to be in tonight. I did. I did master that. I've been studying Spanish since our episode, and I've, I'm up to yes. I've I've got the a tilde. So we, tonight going. we are going to be waltzing the tilde. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. I missed that pun last time, so I had oh. to get it in. Nice, All right. Nice. Okay. And as you guys know, um, when we do a darkroom episode, we have a special guest who uh, knows more about the subject than us, or at least knows it differently than us, or just as excited to talk to about it as somebody we're excited to talk to. So today we have the great Astral. Uh, writer and podcaster extraordinaire. He's got pieces. Um, I, I didn't, I, I've been listening to the podcast, his great podcast with the greatest podcast name, which is Astral Flight Simulator. Um, bar none, best podcast uh, name. You have no idea how <laughs> self-conscious I am of that name. I actually just decided today to change the name and now oh. maybe maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> I, I, hey man, do it, do what you feel, but I love it. Oh, I love um, the compliment. Such a great I, name, man. That's yeah, what I needed. That's yeah. what I needed. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and uh, also, I, I hadn't I hadn't dug into the writing on the Substack until just today. Actually, I kind of hadn't realized how much writing is actually on there. You've got pieces on topics ranging from Cormac McCarthy to um, accelerationism uh, to currents in science fiction. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to digging more into that. Um, and we'll have links to, we'll have links to all of this on the show notes. Um, and podcast has had some pretty, um, prominent guests, uh, Curtis Yarvin, Amanda Milius, uh, Oren McIntyre, who's one of my favorite Twitter follows, Zero HP Lovecraft and, and, and a whole bunch of others. So, so we're super stoked to have you on Astral. This is going to be awesome. Super stoked to be here, man. I appreciate yeah. all the compliments. I yeah. feel uh, it's through no virtue of my own uh, intellect or, or uh, provenance that I got these guests on. I've just been, you know, lurking around Twitter for years yeah. and decided I, I feel like I saw a hole and I w- decided to fill it. I saw a hole in the right wing podcast uh, uh, scene and, you know, I'm not like, I, I guess I am explicitly right wing, but I don't try to make that anything about my subject matter really in any sort of hardcore sense. But 
the vast majority of my guests are going to be your right-wing Anons or your mm-hmm. right-wing icons, if I can get them, like Yarvin mm-hmm. and Amanda Milius. Mm-hmm. Um, but primarily, I'm a show about art and literature. That's Those are my primary interests. Um, and, you know, I... I've worried that my obsession with Roberto Bolaño would be uh, would would make me uh, single me out as uh, you know I thought I'd be the only one I was going to say ostracized. They're right, taking but... your neo reactionary card right. away. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you can't go to the meetings anymore because of Bolaño. The only yeah. the only reason I'm not uh, I didn't say ostracized those because hardly anyone knows who he is. But the few people that I've found that do fucking hate him. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I, yeah. I did. There was a guy on Twitter called Carlos Wider, but uh, he doesn't really use his account. I talked to him a little bit and he was cool. But but I've had other people say, you know, oh, he's a degenerate and he's a leftist and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But maybe I don't know what you guys want to talk about specifically. I'm really interested in the literature itself. But if we want to talk about his uh, biography, um yeah you know well, his leftism is maybe not exactly what people think of it yeah well maybe we can i mean i do want to get there maybe we just start like what is your what is your sort of origin story with Bologna? where did you start why did you start you yeah know, that kind of thing it's a good question um yeah. it's a good question i stumbled into Bologna. i had never heard of him um i have always paid attention to literature and always paid attention to what's being published and tried to read new things. But somehow, I don't know where I was at when, when all the fervor was going on in 2007 and 8 and 9 when he really took off. The Savage Detectives and 2666 were published. And somehow all that passed me by. I don't know because I thought I was paying attention. But anyway, I met up with this group of guys uh, online that I kind of stumbled across on Instagram of all places, just posting different books that we like to read and beers that we drink and video games we play and just random bullshitting so we started a book club mm-hmm. and all of them except me were uh, primarily spanish speaking and they were all from latin america cuba ecuador nicaragua i can't even remember where there's probably 12 of them and all of them were from south america and um none of them had ever read bolaño and right when i joined they were like what the fuck is wrong with us we're we're, we're latin americans they all lived in america though and we've never read Bolaño, so we got to we got to read Bolaño. So so, and I was like, I don't even know who this is. Whatever, whatever you guys want to read. And they picked Distant Star, mm-hmm. um, and it just blew me the fuck away. I mean, it literally it just changed my life. At least it changed my life and my perspective, I should say, mm-hmm. um, completely. It was like the potential of what literature could be was so limited prior to reading distant star and then afterwards i'm like oh th- there is no limit and then i read the savage detectives and it was like twice that you know mm. I-, I read a bunch of other books of his and i love them all but those are the two that to me were like like milestones in my life you know for for um well my literary life really i have read other books that palpably changed my life you know my day-to-day experience by making me make certain decisions uh or changing things about my life Bolano wasn't exactly like that but he's he's near and dear to me as much as those writers are because my love i felt like my love and obsession with literature and you know i imagine that you guys and many other readers of Bolano can agree with this I felt like my love and lifelong obsession with literature that bordered on like craziness, like obsession was finally vindicated. 
mm. because there was somebody else who like had taken it farther than I ever could. Yeah. And you know, I I I know he died of like liver failure, but I always say that Bolaño died for poetry. He was like a martyr for poetry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, let me jump in here. I have to tease the uh, Patreon episode, the After Dark episode. We're going to talk about not not the liver failure per se, although it's going to come up. We're going to talk about this idea that came out around his death uh, that he was a junkie. So we're on the After Dark episode. We're going to dig a little further into this idea. Was Roberto Bolaño a junkie? And that's for Patreon subscribers. Of course, you find that at patreon.com slash pod. You get extra episodes. Uh, every, every recording we do, we do another 20 or 30 minutes. So if you like the show, support what we're doing. And uh, on one of the episodes, I'm not going to say which, on one of the deep cuts, you can hear Brad rap. <laughs> oh, no. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Is, is oh, this no. all an elaborate trick to get to, 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 as an audience? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, this is all, the whole podcast is about, hopefully you'll buy my mixtape that yeah. hasn't come out yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do, do the funky hip-hop musical about Roberto Bolaño. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> but that might actually exist. You could, it might. Yeah, it might. probably I already see, does. I could see that down some yeah. Mario for sure. Distant, distant stars is so good i uh, see i have not read distant T- star so give me the rundown of like what is distant star okay so i mean i don't know how elaborate you want me to get so i'll be brief and then we can okay. you can okay you know prompt me if you want to go deeper but to make a long story short it's about this uh guy who was part of a, like an artist collective when they were all young and idealistic sounds familiar already i'm sure you read mm-hmm. You, I remember I listened to your Bolaño episode. You've read... Uh, I've, I've read Savage Detectives in, in 2666. Right, yes, okay. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. This, right. So he revisits the same themes all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's this young group of friends, and uh, one of them goes on to become a fascist. And it's in, Allende, uh, well, it's Allende's Chile, but it becomes Pinochet's Chile. Mm-hmm. And he continues his art as a fascist and his the violence he commits it becomes part of his art um he does other things as well not just violence but uh one of the characters who i think was also part of the collective but i think he was more loosely affiliated with the collective he wasn't deep into it if i remember correctly kevin you might have to correct me on that's been it's been a while since i've read it but i can i have the wikipedia in front of me so why don't i just i'll start there so it it tells the story of alberto ruiz tagla an aviator who exploits the 73 chilean coup d'etat to launch his own version of the new chilean poetry Mm -hmm. a multimedia enterprise involving skywriting torture photography murder and verse and then it's the narrator sort of confronting Ruiz Tagla in a college poetry workshop. Uh, yeah. Is that? Yeah. No, of so. course. I, I just, I think he was an affiliate of his in some capacity before Taglia became Carlos Weider or Vidir. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Vida. Vida. Yeah, the Depends on where the E is. I'd have to look. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, I forgot you speak German, don't you? Yeah. So it's Vida. Yeah. I never yeah, knew Vita. that. Vita. Mm-hmm. So, I th- so yeah. So he goes on. He embarks upon this mission to find him and hunt him down. But he disappeared after after Pinochet. Uh, actually, 
he didn't disappear after Pinochet lost power because even he went too far even for the fascists and they actually forced him out. <laughs> right, they, right. They actually forced him out because his art was too uh, explicit and it was too explicit about the torture because as you probably know, in Chile, they disappeared thousands of people. Right. And uh, these victims that they disappeared would turn up in Vita's art. So uh, oh. they, they, had to, they had to kick him out and he disappeared. So mm. this, this detective, uh, this literary detective has to hunt him down, but the only way he can hunt him down is by traces and hints in the art world and in the literary world of his signature style that he tries to piece together to trace him, to trace him down. And he does <laughs> do that. And it's through, you know, crazy shit like uh, some, some uh, not, not, not uh, what is that? snuff porn he finds mm -hmm. a snuff yeah. porn out of italy oh, and man. he's like you know this has the trademark of of this guy i think he filmed this and directed this and he went and find f go, this is only one anecdote right. a, the whole book is this he goes and finds a uh actress from the porn movie when she's much older and it turns out it was him uh so it's just like savage detectives where this lady's like telling an anecdotal story about him and then he moves on and he eventually does track him down and they have this little confrontation at the end uh, but of course, in true Bolaño fashion, the confrontation isn't some big, you know, Quentin Tarantino shootout. It's right. some profound sort of cryptic, sort of leaves you hanging ending, uh, which, you know, Seb's Detective's ending is pretty final and uh, uh, climactic, but 2666 certainly is enigmatic and leaves you hanging. Yeah. Um, so you can already see in this brief summary, all the trademarks of, and of all of his works here with the, uh, the, the vanished literary figure and the tracing them down through their work of which there's only little traces of it here and there that they can pick up on. Mm -hmm. um, but, but there's, well, and then also the work itself as, uh, as a, a, either like a territory of or emblematic of violence, right? I mean, this is a, this is a sort of a thing that seems to me that Bolaño is, he's, he's implying the overlap of the act of writing or poetry and acts of, acts of violence. And I mean, other writers have, have, have sort of tread the same ground before too, but I'm really interested in that. Like, you know, what is, what about writing is is there something fundamental about write, the act of writing itself that is terroristic even if the pol the political aims of the work itself aren't necessarily terroristic you know you see this in like um i don't know if you guys either of you guys have read Don DeLillo's um Mao 2 no i There's, i only have white noise that, by him yeah. that might be the one delillo that i haven't read i it's went good, through a delillo good. phase when we were at texas brad i yeah. i devoured uh oh, delillo it's all pretty yeah. good mao too yeah. is you know maybe a lesser work but it'd be a major work by anybody else um but there's there is a whole that's just sort of one of the undercurrents of it is is the act of writing is it's almost terrorism against reality in a way right and and there's there's and Bolaño's kind of doing that as like, well, if you show them actually committing act, if you if you marry it even closer to acts of violence, you're making that point even stronger. Um, so it's, that's really interesting. Distant Star sounds awesome. It's, it's only 150 pages. <laughs> oh, I got to read it. I'm a, I'm gonna you can read it in right a day. after this. Two days. Yeah. yeah, you can. I got a question though. Uh, writing being terroristic. What what do you think? Delillo meant by that or at least in that book what do you mean by that and how does it relate to that book 
Yeah. Because my mind goes two places. I don't think you mean like propaganda and, and art writing used as propaganda. You don't mean that, right? No, no, not necessarily. No. I mean, you could use it as that. I mean, I But that's kind of like a banal take, and I don't think you're going right. that way. No. Yeah, okay. No, no. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm saying more of like a... Um, okay, so like an act of terrorism is an attempt to um, specifically use fear to upend some status quo, right? Um, and... and I think the big status quo is like the fabric of reality, right? And so writing can, I think, as an act, you know, now I'm getting into kind of mystical things and maybe it's I'm good. doing that, you know, <laughs> as a writer, I'm doing this, we are the legislators Ooh. of the universe kind of thing. But but I think there is this this notion where you can like, you can talk about writing as we're going to actually bend realities. We're going to bend the big status quo. Bill Burroughs called it, I'm going to punch a hole in the big lie, right? And I think about like um, China, uh, China, one of the kinds of narrative fiction, either in books or movies that they clamp down on is time travel. They don't want people to be thinking about alternate possible realities, right? But that's not a direct attack on the Chinese government to say, to say oh, time travel's real they literally don't want their people to think about the possibility that reality could bend around the the current situation so it's like writing in in that way i think there is this element where there's a little there's an affinity between terrorism and 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 writing but that's an excellent description of bologna that's fucking perfect i never (laughs) thought of it in those terms or heard it in those terms all that said he was also concerned with the impotence of it so well Mm. All of this is true. I think he maybe finally uh, in 2666 was very concerned that we weren't just doing anything except kind of farting for each other. I've got a great passage from 266 to read about that very same thing. It might be yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Let's he's an old, he's an, he's, I think you might've said something along these lines in your episode, uh, which was a great episode. Uh, th- he's an ultimately a tragic writer and nobody can come away from reading him without seeing that. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And I want to talk a little bit about the sort of optimism versus pessimism and all that too. But this is, this, this comes from near the end of, I mean, it, it's a big book, so there's like another hundred pages, but I would call it near the end. Yeah, um, oh yeah. And this is where, um, do you say it Archimbaldi or Archimbaldi? I think it's Archimbaldi. But I think it's Archimbaldi as well. This is where um, writer, for people who've read it, this is where writer reveals himself as Archimbaldi to this guy that he's going to borrow a typewriter from. I don't know if that rings a bell for anybody. Um, but anyway, this is the guy he's going to borrow a typewriter from speaking. This isn't, this isn't Archimbaldi. So <clears throat> it goes like this. My poor father. I was a writer. I was a writer, but my indolent, voracious brain gnawed at my own entrails. Vulture of my Prometheus self or Prometheus of my vulture self, one day I understood that I might go so far as to publish excellent articles in magazines and newspapers and even books that weren't unworthy of the paper in which they were printed. But I also understood that I would never manage to create anything like a masterpiece. You may say that literature doesn't consist solely of masterpieces, but rather is populated by so-called minor works. I believed that too. Literature is a vast forest, forest, and the masterpieces are the lakes, the towering trees or strange trees, the lovely eloquent flowers, the hidden caves. But a forest is also made up of ordinary trees, patches of grass, puddles, clinging vines, mushrooms, and little wildflowers. But I was wrong. There's actually no such thing as a minor work. 
I mean, the author of the minor work isn't Mr. X or Mr. Y. Mr. X and Mr. Y do exist. There's no question about that. And they struggle and toil and publish in newspapers and magazines. And sometimes they even come out with a book that isn't unworthy of the paper it's printed on. But those books or articles, if you pay close attention, are not written by them. Every minor work has a secret author, and every secret author is by definition a writer of masterpieces. Who writes the minor work? A minor writer, or so it appears. The poor man's wife can testify to that. She's seen him sitting at the table, bent over the blank pages, restless in his chair, his pen racing over the paper. The evidence would seem to be uncontrovertible, but what she's seen is only the outside, the shell of literature, a semblance. Okay, so he keeps going on. He, he goes on in this vein a little bit, but then we get this last bit. <clears throat> By now I knew it was pointless to write, or that it was worth it only if one was prepared to write a masterpiece. Most writers are deluded or playing. Perhaps delusion and play are the same thing, two sides of the same coin. The truth is we never stop being children, terrible children covered in sores and knotty veins and tumors and age spots, but ultimately children. In other words, we never stop clinging to life because we are life. One might also say we're theater, we're music. By the same token, few are the writers who give up. We play at believing ourselves immortal. We delude ourselves in the appraisal of our own works and on our perpetual misappraisal of the works of others. See you at the Nobel, writers say, as one might say, see you in hell. <laughs> I just love it. It's like this ultimate, what, what I like about it is like, to me, it's like writing is a futile enterprise in a way but also sort of necessary, right? It's, it's the, vulture, the vulture eating the entrails of Prometheus. It's like you don't get out of it in some way. So It's also highly neurotic, that passage, but, but in yes. a cathartic way, though. Yeah. In a cathartic way. Yeah. And, um, what, what were you trying to evoke by reading that? I wanted to get at, well, what kind of came up was like, for me, is Bolaño's relationship to writing. And I wasn't sure if, he was speaking in the voice of that typewriter owner yeah. that's giving this up or not. I think he was. I, I think, think it was. was him. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what it, the conclusion I come, I've come to now just by reading it and kind of talking the lead up in the conversation with you guys. And there is, he, he's, in, and as a writer, they, I recognize some of that. Like there, there is no minor work because if it's a minor work, it's not up to your potential. And so it doesn't count in some way. Like there's, he's playing at a, he's playing at a metaphysical level of what the writing craft is. And it's not necessarily this like, Oh, you know, like religious <laughs> visions from heaven. It's, it's, yeah. it's a Promethean effort, uh, you know, with your entrails being eaten by vultures. <laughs> I mean, and of course, this is the same novel that famously has the passage that is solely comprised of these descriptions of these horrific murders. Right. And so he's getting at the consequence of, of small things, seemingly right. small things. Right. Right. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's the other half of it is how are you going to ever write a masterpiece if you can't write about that stuff? Right. Because part of the writing the masterpiece is at some point you're going to have to look at the worst you're gonna have to look at you know murder senseless murder right yeah yeah i'd like to get to that i'd like to focus on that um for a little while but it's it's very off topic from this passage that you read at least in my mind sure uh i i see this this kind of goes back to what i said about how uh i was vindicated for being an obsessive about this stuff because like i had a, a a phase in my life i mean i've always 
more or less been a writer. And, but I had this phase in my life where I was like a basket case shut in and I wrote a novel and it was like this, it was like, I was like, I, I don't know. It, it's, it was like the equivalent of like sitting in my apartment, like and cutting obsessively and listening to like really dark music, you know? And I realized it was like an exorcism and it was an exorcism partially because of the, the, the subject matter. Uh, you know, if anybody's interested also, this is, I'm serializing it on my blog. Uh, the first installation is called the Aleph. Oh, I saw that. But I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not where, here to shill that though. <laughs> to shill it though. Where, where can people All find right. the blog? All right. Uh, oh, the Astral Flight, Astral Flight Substack, com. It's in my, link is in my bio. Yeah, we'll have it in show notes too, for sure. Yeah, so, so the, the stuff that was inside me that had to come out was a form of exorcism, right? But, and this is more to Bolaño's point than, than that, which mm-hmm. is that the process was also like torture it was like i fucking shut myself in my apartment which was one room Mm -hmm. literally one tiny room turned all the lights off and battled a fucking demon and the demon was the writing not the not the emotions because i would i would start writing right and i would bang out 30 pages over a couple days and i'd say fuck this isn't my voice you know this is the voice of the last book that i wrote Mm -hmm. now i have to delete that and start over. And then that would, that would start an internal battle, you know? And I feel like the passage you read, and that went on, you know, for mm-hmm. years. <laughs> uh, I feel like the passage you read was a poetic expression of that part of the process. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the emotions involved in the content and the struggle involved in getting it out perfectly right, correct, uh, are two separate beasts. And you have to battle and conquer both of them right um right, and right. you know this is why Bolaño is like important to me um because he gives voice to that experience you know what i mean i i let that i i don't know what it's like for other people man yeah. but i let that novel sit on my computer for three or four years because i was like i bled i mean you know that charles bukowski poem uh bleed for this i think it's called mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I fucking bled for that thing. And I don't even, I don't give a fuck if it's good. Excuse me. Excuse my language. No, it's fine. I take it back. I don't care if it's good. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with whether or not it's good. It's served the purpose in my life that I needed it to serve at that time. And I just, I didn't want to look at it. And I see, hopefully other writers can relate to what I'm saying because it's not a solipsistic uh, anecdote. It's, that's what I think Bolaño does for everyone that reads him. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I'm repeating a word. No, I mean, I know, I, I know what you're Reading talking him about. Is cathartic. Yeah. I, I just reached the end of writing a novel draft and I'm, I'm, I give it a couple of weeks and then I go back to the beginning, right? And the process starts over. And so I'm on vacation for my novel for a minute, but like, it's, it's kind of, it's what you say. I've learned to pace myself a little bit. So I'm not, so I can kind of have a functional life, but, but it, but it, it takes over everything. It takes over what you're thinking about when you're not doing it. Right. You know, you kind of have a distant eyed stare when you're supposed to be having a conversation yeah. with other people about totally. stuff. Right. Oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And you're like, Oh, what's, what are you thinking about? And you're like, 
I can't even start explaining to you because I'm thinking about this, this little piece on this huge mosaic that I'm working on, you know? And, and so I can't, I can't tell you what I'm thinking yeah. right now. And you want the whole world to sense. stop so you can run back because yeah. you realize like, oh, wait, that one little piece is out of place. Right, right. And right. you got you got to go fix it. <laughs> and and then there's then there's like that and then there's like the battle for your own attention cuz like when you're not doing it it's all you want to do but then when you're doing it you find a million reasons to distract yourself like it's a yeah. it is it is battling a demon for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's And that's kind of getting at, I guess, why I didn't want to read that passage. Cause I think he articulates that as well as anybody ever has. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I, I love kinda, being a playwright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean, is it the same it, yeah. process? It's it a, it's a, it's a similar process, but uh, I tried my hand at prose and I, it was one of the best decisions I made to sort of abandon it uh, because of everything you fellows are, are describing. I wasn't cut out for it. Uh, and I found my tidy little corner in, uh, in the play format. And, um, but it's a similar struggle, uh, but different, I would say, and not nearly as protracted. Nobody wants a 400 page play. Right. So you can, you can get it done in two weeks, but I've, I've tortured myself plenty mm -hmm. writing plays oh, and yeah, I've alienated yeah. pl plenty of people and yeah. Uh, yeah. drank too much and ruined all of it. So yeah, ruined yeah. Yeah, all of the, all of it. So yeah, yeah. Astro, yeah. I talked over you, you were going to say something. No, 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 it's fine, man. Um, yeah. So, right. I, I know like I had two major phases in my life where I really got into writing really deep. And the, the first one was like, uh, I could tell it, long stories about this but basically i was sitting on my stoop in the city smoking a cigarette and i was so hammered drunk that i cut my thumb open on like the rim of the beer can really bad and i was bleeding all over the place and i was like too drunk to take care of it oh. and i realized like i'm not cut out to be a, a starving artist like <laughs> i'm just sitting in my apartment drinking myself into oblivion and writing these stories and man i think they're fucking good stories like they're really good but i was like the trade-off isn't worth it i need to just go get a regular job and like give the dream up uh because you know like i dude i was like hanging out with guys who were like blasted out of their mind on like speed like chain smoking cigarettes at three o'clock in the morning on the corner who were like 45 telling me about like the next you know novel they had coming out but of course they never had a fucking never novel and i was like yeah. this Oof. is what you know what i mean that's that's what's at the end of, it's, yeah. it's not romantic and, and even some of these guys man even some of these guys like uh, there, there's one guy in particular but there was others but this one guy in particular like he like was a writer for saturday night live at one point and he had like written a few episodes of a couple television shows and stuff and i was just like that's i that's what this is all for. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So mm -hmm. like I, I abandoned, but then I went back to it and now this podcast, uh, I didn't mean, I didn't come on here to give you guys my biography. No, you're so all right, man. I'm digging we'll get it. back to Bologna. This is a very Bologna-esque. This is great. This is, yeah, exactly. Well, and, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you for saying that because yeah. um, only of all, I, of all the people I read, he's the only one that I have this relationship with. You know what I mean? Like he's the only one who vindicated those years that I thought I wasted. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, well, and Bukowski's the other one too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you got to imagine him. You got to imagine before he took his turn to writing novels. He was doing he, that, right? Yeah, he was, he was drinking. I, I don't know right. what he was doing exactly, but he was like working in a campground. Like he wasn't, he wasn't blowing the doors he, off the world. He exactly. started writing novels because 
he needed to make money. Yeah. What a, what a, yeah. that's such a wild, that's right, crazy. Right. That's yeah. so insane. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Right. No, yeah. Nobody's done that for the last hundred years except for him. He, he, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he, he changed. Uh, I mean, dude, part of my whole raison d'etre for like being online and doing all this is to try and revive something that I thought was dead. I said this on mm. some other episode. I'm not sure which, but it might be Lomez, the episode with Lomez, who's, a very important person that everyone needs to pay attention to and support. Mm. Um, I said that, uh, I forgot what I was saying. I said that, uh, you were trying to bring something back to life. Oh, right. I was trying to revive something. I'm trying to revive something with this podcast that I thought was dead. And it was when I found Bolaño and then zero HP Lovecraft Mm. that I realized it wasn't dead. It Mm. just had gone underground in America, Mm. switched to Latin America and they had kept the fire burning. Mm. And I think, I hope Zero lit something. Uh, has he been on the show? I mean, you guys read him? Uh, yeah, um, we're familiar with him. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah, we, yep, yep. He hasn't yeah. been on uh, Art of Darkness, although perhaps one day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he, 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 you should make that happen. because We should have him on to talk about Lovecraft. Yeah, we, yeah. Have, a, we have an episode on HP Lovecraft, so that would be yeah. the, the yeah. natural fit. Maybe it's a little too on the nose, though. Yeah, go ahead, Astro. No, he picked up the baton, and he, he, he seems to be carrying it by himself right now, mm-hmm. for, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see Bolaño as, as the, the bridge. You know? Well, how do you describe what is the baton? What do you mean? The, uh, the baton is uh, real literature and literature as an art, and, and, and specifically what I mean is evolving the form i hate to use such a technical term like that uh you could say breathing new life into the medium you could say uh 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 bringing heart to to a to a dead kind of sterile medium Mm. but uh truly what i think they're doing is evolving the form because if you you can you can't reduce their work they're not like each other at all Right. But you can't reduce Bolaño's work to his influences, even though his influences are all over his work uh, and he's explicit about it. And you can point, this is like him, this is like this guy and this is like that guy. And the same is true for Zero. But uh, the, 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 it, the sum of its parts, uh, the, the whole is not equal to the sum of its parts. The whole is a totally separate new thing that I contend has never really been seen before. Mm. And I remember when um, Jennifer, uh, I almost said Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Egan's book, The Visit mm. from the Goon Squad, came out. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that. It won the yeah, Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah, it did. did. And it's a good book. It's it a, good book. a good book. I liked it. Yeah. But I met, the, we met Jennifer Egan, right? I don't know if you were there, Kevin. I met Jennifer uh, no. Egan oh, uh, right around the Pulitzer through, coming out. She came through Texas, yeah. yeah. Where'd yeah. you meet her? In Texas? Yeah, Kevin and I went to the Michener Center down at UT Austin. So we met she's, a bunch of we met a bunch cool. of these people. She's cool. She's great. Yeah. She dated uh, Steve Super Jobs. Talented. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. That sounds that rings a bell. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. She's super cool. She's super smart. And yeah. I don't want to take anything away from her. I, I really don't. I think she's great. And I've read um, I've read other books by her too. The one about Manhattan Beach. It's yeah, good. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but yeah, I know it's good. About. But yeah. but when she won the Pulitzer. The things they said about Visit from the Goon Squad and why they gave her the Pulitzer, mm-hmm. Bolaño had already done all that. Mm-hmm. But Bolaño had already done it um, and, and done it better and done it more. 
Uh, but it was off the radar, you know, at the time. Yeah. Well, no, Bolaño had blown up by that time, but but Bolaño blew up with the Savage Detectives and 2666. Mm-hmm. And then people went back and read his other stuff. But as we've already said, he was already dead by then. Right. You know what I mean? So he, it wasn't like his books were coming out to a lot of fanfare in America and changing the genre and changing the scene in America as he was writing them. And I don't think Jennifer Egan copied him at all. I think it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, Belated. You know, I think American Mm -hmm. literature for a long time was belated. And the reason I think had a lot to do with identity politics and, and woke, you know, woke art, which isn't art. It's a devolution of art. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that, I think there's a bunch of reasons why, but I think the, the identity politics hogtied artistic forms in the novel in America. I think uh, PC culture and people like Jonathan fucking, excuse my language, I keep cursing, Jonathan <laughs> yeah. Franzen being held up as like the, the next guy and he's just drivel, just uh, no redeeming qualities. Um, and he's kind of a sign, like him and Wallace, David Foster Wallace, uh, they were, they were like uh, in the same way that Bologna was. Like they're very iconoclastic, and they they denounce and tear apart the predecessors uh, viciously <laughs> and relentlessly. And um, I do think American literature had come to some sort of deadlock because, like, every single book was like a a a twenty something white males struggle to individuate in in a in a postmodern american culture mm-hmm. which you know i don't have the same critique that like a feminist would have of that mm-hmm. which is like that it's like toxic masculinity even though that's fucking what sorry david foster <laughs> wallace said about it yeah which is, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah you know i feel like he was just pandering when he said that i can't believe he said that but he did yeah yeah um, we can't we can't deny it um um, it's still, just, it's that, just the, the campus novel thing. Like the campus novel, yeah. Right. Once uh, Delillo wrote White Noise, so there and and William Gass wrote The Tunnel. I don't really want to hear about college professors anymore. It, yeah, and Stoner, <laughs> Stoner is like and Stoner, a, yeah, which isn't bad. None of these no. are like bad. No, those are great. I love all three of those. It's like it's like once those were done, though, it was like yeah. it's settled. That's, it's settled, man. Right. It's, it's like, settled. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just, I don't have the feminist critique, like it's toxic masculinity, blah, blah, blah. But if you're rehashing the same, and I guess I'm reiterating what you're saying. Yeah. If you're rehashing the same story over and over and over again, it's going to fizzle and die, you know? Right. And I think that's part of the reason why Infinite Jest is such a mess, because mm. he was trying to do the same exact thing, but in a new way, but it was like too late. It was like already over by that mm-hmm. point, even though I love that book. Well, and this is what people are struggling with, and this is what Zero, I think, is dealing with, the, the idea that this is an extraordinarily tired medium. The novel is exactly. exhausted, so we've exactly. got to find new ways to grapple with the novel in the, in the light of the internet. Uh, how, why, why should I sit and, ru- and read 300 100 pages of, of anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's something that current writers have to uh, contend with. As a, as a playwright, it's funny for me because it's like, 
we're the most ancient, antiquated, ridiculous. <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing to do. Uh, <laughs> and I know it. And that doesn't mean that I, I don't want to try to do something funky or new or strange with, with mm-hmm. the form um, as well. But it's funny because, you know, uh, you're we're kind of in the weeds here as writers but it's fine that's that's good that's what this show's for uh i you know you're 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 writing something that's going to live outside of the page uh so it's just a completely different animal whereas the novel is kind of this onanistic enclosed thing can i ask you astral uh just to uh, anchor us back into what you mentioned at the beginning, this book club where it was you and the, the UN delegate from Latin America. (laughs) Uh, What did they, so you read distant star and the savage detectives with that group. What did they make? What did they make of the, um, they were probably on the same level of obsessed with it as I was. And they were writers too. Most of them, Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, uh, one of them like wrote screenplays, like, and, the, you know, these aren't people anybody's ever heard of. None of us ever did anything with what we were writing at the time. But, uh, but yeah, they, no, they were obsessed with it. And they, but they, they definitely um, took ownership. And this, I, I know you wanted to save this to the end. So maybe I'll just uh, foreshadow what we're going to talk about. But they felt like they had a privileged that's a buzzword. I'm not using it in the stupid you know, way, uh, but they nope. felt like they had a privileged insight into Bolaño and they felt like they had some sort of ownership over the work. And this sounds ridiculous, but it actually wasn't totally unwarranted. They did read him in Spanish. Um, I was the only, you know, idiot that couldn't speak Spanish in the group. Uh, so I always felt like I was the like retarded younger brother that they took along, <laughs> that their mom made them take along and uh, talk to right, me in English right, about it. Right. Um, but they, they, they almost to the to the um, extreme that I feel for Bolaño. I think they were even more. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But 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 different than me though. Very different too. Um, they kind of saw it as like this is going to get way off topic so so we should probably just leave it let's, at this let's rock and roll but <laughs> but there is a man this is really gonna this could open a can of worms i like it uh, the castizo futurism thing in america okay so these guys <laughs> right. these guys were very macho uh they were ultimately on the left because of certain things that they held dear that they would never they're never going to let go of immigration (laughs) mainly Mm -hmm. but other things too but they were very masculine very macho they fucking hated feminism i'm sorry that i keep cursing i'm from new york that's all right at this point let's go Uh, Uh, fuck it fuck it all right all right good 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 so so they felt like their uh culture was ascendant in america mm. and in a, to an extent they were right um and i don't necessarily feel as bad about it as many right wingers do um because these guys were cool and they showed me a way to look at this situation without utterly without utter contempt let's just put it that way and where I'm going with this and how it relates to Bolaño is they kind of held him up as their 
avatar and their paladin like hmm. like we're fucking uh, we're here and like we're making a dent and like we're part of the culture and we're going to use this guy as uh, a way to force our way in the door yeah was, uh, was that because Bolaño had made such an impact yeah or because was, he was so okay. popular yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and okay. because he was so latin american you right, know what I mean? Right. He's no, there's and, nothing American about this guy. Right. And respected intellectually. We're not talking about Absolutely. like, like, you Absolutely. know, some dance music from, from South America. You know, it's, it's like, actually yeah, right. Something people you can people barge fall, into the, from the New York times totally. are talking right. about him in hushed tones. Right. Oh, yeah. Great. Roberto Bologna. Totally. Right. And they, yeah. they would even say things to me too, about why he's better for this than like someone like Cortazar or mm. Borges or uh, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you know, they were explicitly saying like, this is the better represent- representative than those guys are, and they had their reasons. Now, I'm sorry I mince my words so much saying all that. I just know that amongst our crew, it's like unpopular uh, to to like. <laughs> and I and my my feelings are kind of mixed on the whole thing, but that's where those guys were at. You know mm. what I mean? Like that's mm. where those guys were at, and 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 I I got it. You know what I mean? I get it. Like they weren't totally wrong you know it's like the way um a lot of these guys feel about their 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 soccer stars you know that one guy mm-hmm. died recently the football star i forgot his name in brazil um and it was like a national fucking tragedy yeah and they maradona thank you that's exactly yeah, yeah. who i meant mm-hmm. um this was like their maradona because these guys were literary men, i think you know? maradona was argentine so ah, uh, yeah, sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. no so there there are there are more than a handful of macho dudes out there reading novels. Is this what you're talking about? Well, but this is the thing, man. This is the thing. That's like America. That's America is where it's like effeminate. Yeah, right, and the right, right. do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. look at look at Kerouac, dude. He mm-hmm. he wasn't just a legitimate tough guy, mm-hmm. but he actually had some scorn for like. Ginsburg and some of the more feminine. Uh, oh, that great, that great interview where he's drunk off his ass. Yeah, on, uh, who's he with? Yeah, Dick Cavett or something no, like that. Um, Not Dick Cavett. William F. Buckley, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, he's just, oh, he's just wasted and just sort of like he literally <laughs> yeah. says something like digs at Ginsburg, who's sitting in the audience. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. I've got that a iconic. I don't know that I've seen that. I'm going to screen so that good. for myself after. Yeah, I'm it's, making it's, a note it's right short, now. but it's fantastic, and he is. People used to go on TV hammered. Yeah. And uh, they do not do that anymore. And no, he was, was, I uh, think he was smoking a cigar too. He was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, no, but you're right. That was macho. Yeah, Norman Mailer was macho. There was an Ernest Hemingway. Right, right, and, right. And, 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 and that wasn't even that it was all macho, macho. I mean, you had guys like, we covered Faulkner on an episode of this. Now, he, did, he wasn't like a hurly burly kind of guy, but he, you know, he rode horses. You know, he, you know, he was, he was tough kind of in his own way, you know, in my world, it would be Sam Sam Mm -hmm. Shepard. Sam Shepard had that vibe, that rock and roll cowboy. I'm here to take your girl. Right. Um, Right. You know, machismo. And that came across in his screen roles too. You could watch uh, the right stuff and he just oozes this like male, you know, virility. And it's all gone. That's all gone. Yeah. And that kind of, that is one of the edges I think you you might need to keep not the only edge, but one of the edges I think you might need to keep the novel alive to a certain extent. And but. you want to know, um, man, I'm being so tangential. You want to know no, where I see right. that coming up? I hmm. see that uh, Terror House Press. Have hmm. you? Do you guys follow them? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Matt Forney, man. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about that guy for a while. No offense if you listen to this, Matt, because yeah. I was like kind of trying to get him on my show, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it because of his past. And then he started having this, like, basically a midlife crisis right on the timeline. Oh, and I, I didn't know what that. I thought about it at first. Yeah. But as it kept going, I hope he understands that I mean this with respect and reverence. Uh, as it kept going, it was like every time I would see a tweet by him, it was like, I, I, I don't know, like, like I could hear, like, 1985 riffs coming out of, like, Guns N' Roses <laughs> and the Sex Pistols and, like, this old yeah. school, like, like, soundtrack to like the uh live fast die young of the 1980s sunset strip like uh that hunter s thompson sort of helped inaugurate and uh yeah i was like picturing hunter s thompson with you know motley Crue playing in the background while i'm reading matt forney's tweets and i'm like (laughs) this is it man this is this is it like this is what i was talking about before with you guys like it's coming back i think i Mm. really think it's coming back and i was like i gotta start a podcast to have these people on and like like document this as it's happening. Yeah, I mean, we're, this is the thing. We're we're just seeing the advent, not the advent, but like we're in a phase right now. Where, you know how like Napster blew apart the record industry uh, in I like two thousand two thousand or yes. whatever. Yeah, man. this is we're going through that right now. Yeah, we are, publishing bro. industry, and so yes, so I I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah, so those guys, I keep throwing, I keep dropping all these names, but like the point I'm making here is that like you can just watch it slowly fade. You can just watch mm-hmm. the fire slowly go out in mm-hmm. American literature and American, right. you know, male yeah. writers. Yeah. Um, Not me, man. My entrails grow back every, every morning. Yeah. But, but where, <laughs> where else is it? Where else is it? I mean, where else is this happening in America? I mean, I don't think it's happening anywhere, but in our scene. Yeah. That, that energy moves around, doesn't it? And it, and it always will, it'll come up like one of Cthulhu's tendrils, uh, one of his uh, sort of uh, octopus, what do you call it? Like a, like a little arm. It's coming. A you can't, yeah, tendril. You can't, you can't keep it down. You can't, you can only suppress it for so long before that energy shifts and then pops back up, you know, and there's room for everything. And of course, so much of this is about the publishing industry and who buys books uh, and who buys fiction and who doesn't. Uh, But yeah, I do love seeing some of what's happening uh, in the space uh, with uh, passage prize and with uh, what zero did with his publishing, whether you buy the politics or not. Like I think a person could be an extraordinary writer, writer coming all the way from the left and an extraordinary writer coming all the way from the right. Well, it's, Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, and, and it's the writer's job to blow up, blow up the Overton window. It's like what yeah. Brad said earlier. It's, mm-hmm. I don't care which direction, just blow my mind. Make, take me away from the, this mundane normie world and make me think right. differently about something, anything yeah. and hold uh, the my, ter- the terrorism. Yes. Yeah. Punch yeah, a hole in right. the big lie, man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, this yeah. is why, I mean, and I, uh, mm-hmm. even on the Sarah Kane episode that we did, uh, you know, I heard from somebody who said, mate, I disagree with you about Sarah Kane and it was sort of about her politics and this and that, but I'm like, she still blew up the play. She, this, yeah. she was the writer who blew up the play and we need that. We need to keep blowing this stuff up. Um, I've got a poem from Roberto Bolaño. Uh, should I me. just read it? Why not? Yeah, why not? One of those episodes. <laughs> 
the memory of Lisa descends again through night's hole, a rope, a beam of light, and there it is, the ideal Mexican village amidst the barbarity, Lisa's smile, Lisa's frozen film, Lisa's fridge with the door open, sprinkling a little light on the disorganized room that I, now pushing 40, call Mexico, call Mexico City, call Roberto Bolaño, looking for a payphone amidst chaos and beauty to call his one and only true love. What a nice, oh. what a nice, tidy, it's a love poem. What, what, what a nice, tidy yeah. little, but, yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go there and you can refute me, but like make that poem in your mind about writing and make that poem in your mind about mm. literature. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, I think it works. It works for me mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think Bolaño is always, I mean, that's, yeah, that's always the the um, thing that you can set whatever he's writing against, and it's always his metaphorical reference point. You know, is that it can always lay on lay on writing. I think Here, even all, another, even three hundred dead women in Mexico. I think you can. Let me read another one, and let's read it with that in mind. This idea that maybe he's writing about writing here. <clears throat> My gift to you will be an abyss, she said but it will be so subtle you'll perceive it only after many years have passed and you are far from Mexico and me. You'll find it when you need it most and that won't be the happy ending, but it will be an instant of emptiness and joy. And maybe then you'll remember me if only just a little. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's also this, the wistful borderline uh, neurotic, but also mm -hmm. tragic uh, vibe, mm -hmm. the tragic, uh, hinting at tragedy gesturing to tragedy mm -hmm. um i i mean is it explicit or am i just reading into it that that this is unrequited love or it's a relationship that's over mm -hmm. you know i don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think i think this goes back to i wasn't lisa the the young woman that he he shacked up with when he was young i think so and okay. her mother and her mother intervened and yeah so i think he might be thinking about this past love this young love that he had in mexico city yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but i mean the great poems are always about like three four different things at the same right time, right <laughs> you know yeah right. Yeah. yeah. So it is an abyss and it is writing and it is the lost love and it is Mexico and it, you know, it's yeah, for sure. Do you, do you guys remember this passage uh, from the Savage Detectives? It's been on my mind for like almost this entire episode. Maybe I'll go read it. I, I you guys reading passages. I'm like, fuck, I didn't prepare a passage. To <laughs> Sorry, read. man. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the passage where he talks about uh, how uh, a story lives while the writer is alive and people are reading it and then the writer dies, but the story lives on and then it, it goes on in time. You know what? I'm going to, it rings a bell. Find it. Maybe find yeah, I'll find it. 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 You guys uh, talk. Yeah. I'll come back. We can totally, uh, this is great. We're here with the yeah. great uh, astral. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're getting, this is, this is, a this pretty, is it's going to be one of those episodes. Yeah. Brad. Yeah. I'm one of those. Digging. And it makes me, I'm, you know, us. it's one amping me us. up to get, to back to the keyboard tomorrow morning so oh good i'm glad yeah. to hear that so you, yeah. you're a yeah. musician no 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 my just my typing keyboard oh to type yeah dude yeah. and i got i got three kids I, I <laughs> too many personal details but it's yeah. so hard to find time for me i'm to sure i know what you mean and i i keep telling myself i'm gonna do the Jocko Willink program and get up at four in the morning to write that's what i do that's out. what i do, do brother you? i've been doing it for years yeah yeah <sighs> You, this is how it's working though you're because eventually i don't get enough sleep so eventually i'm gonna like have dementia or something so i'm just right. like 
cutting off cognitive function right. in the last few years of my life and trying to use it now. Same, bro. But, Same. Hey. So yeah. listen, I'll I'll read this passage when I find it. Uh, yeah, but let's yeah, let's yeah. move on. Um, yeah. So, well, I'll let you guys. It's your show. It's yeah. so hard not to revert back to the host. I, it's <laughs> You're doing constantly great. Constantly a struggle for me. It's I'm hearing it. No, it's great. That's good. We're definitely yeah. going to have no dead air on this episode. No, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, great. Well, and so you read. So your initial Bolaño yeah. was uh, uh, distant, distant Star, Star, then the Savage Detectives, and then did you? No, actually, I read. Um, hmm. I read. Uh, by Night in Chile and oh, yeah. Amulet mm-hmm. and the Insufferable Gaucho mm-hmm. and maybe half of The Return. And then I read 2666. Oh. And then I read oh. The Savage Detectives. I can't believe I just remembered all that in, in order. Wow. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with me, but one of the guys from that group bought me uh, Last Evenings on Earth and... Okay. Nazi literature in the Americas for my birthday one year, uh-huh. and I never read them. And I need mm. to go. I I'm kicking myself over. Yeah. That. I need to get those two. I'm fascinated with the. I haven't read Nazi literature in Americas, but is it America or Americas? Americas, Americas. plural. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I but the form of it, just reading the description of how it's structured, is fascinating. That is the book I was referring <clears throat> to when I said uh, Jennifer Egan wrote mm. Visit from the Goon Squad, mm-hmm. and, and she got praised for the form. Yeah, uh, that was the book I was referring to that oh, okay. Bologna had already done it. Okay, yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. I want to reiterate, she was not copying him. It's right, just American right. and it's not her claiming she's doing it either. No, it's other right. people I'm giving her awards. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and the thing is, it's like you often hear, you know, every once in a while, the next big book will come along, and it'll be, oh, this is a change. It like um, the one that I heard most recently is Rachel Cusk, and oh, yeah, everybody yeah. is very very excited about her. And I read it, and I was like, this, it doesn't work for me. This is, I don't even want to sound like I'm being dismissive of her. I'm, I think she's talented, but like I thought I was going to be reading like an actual revolution in the structure of no, and how novels are put together. And I read it and I was just like, I don't even care what's on the next page. So right. I yeah, don't really. The, the critics will do that, man. Right, right. It's all that shit. All, all, we just have to clear it out. We got yep. to go full Jonathan Bowden on it and just totally yep. clear them out. All the <laughs> yeah. critics, yeah. all Doesn't the literary matter. journals. Doesn't matter. Clear them out, and yeah. we're going to bring a new thing in. It's going to be us. It's going to be the podcast. It's going to be the Passage Press. Uh, it's going to be Zero's yeah. blog. And, the new uh, mob. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're in town now. So, listen, um, I think, Kevin, you read uh, By Night in Chile, right? And mm-hmm. you have not, Brad? I have not read By Night in Chile. Yeah, you got to read yeah. that. You got to yeah. read that next, and then yeah. Distant Star. Mm. Uh, a friend of mine who's read every book by Bolaño, mm. It swears that By Night in Chile is the best. And my mm. personal favorite passage in all literature is in that book. And I'll oh. get it right now. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, don't nice. think it's, nice. I don't think it's his best book. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's your uh, favorite passage. But so this passage is... Right. It's the best, not the that. best album, but the best song. I don't yeah, know that I he would that. be able to find the passage from Savage Detectives, but that is, that's okay. Right. Yeah. Let's see. Let's I see. What, what do you I have? Oh, both. you did. Oh, yeah. oh great. Okay. Well, here we go. We get to have a reading. Just for you guys and the listeners, remember, this is kind of more in keeping with what we were talking about five minutes ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, there's names I can't pronounce. Yeah. Inyaki Ekavarne, Bar Giardinetto, Calle Grandana del 
Penedes, Barcelona, July 1994. For a while, criticism travels side by side with the work. Then criticism vanishes, and it's the readers who keep pace. The journey may be long or short. Then the readers die one by one, and the work, capital W, work, continues on alone. Although a new criticism and new readers gradually fall into step with it along its path. Then criticism dies again, and the readers die again, and the work passes over a trail of bones on its journey towards solitude. To come near the work, to sail in her wake, is a sign of certain death. But new criticism and new readers approach her tirelessly and relentlessly and are devoured by time and speed. Finally, the work journeys irredeemably along the great vastness. And one day, the work dies, as all things must die and come to an end. The sun and the earth and the solar system and the galaxy and the farthest reaches of man's memory. Everything that begins as comedy ends as tragedy. Now... Mm-hmm. To read this passage, it just like brought me back to reading this book. It's on page 513 and the book has maybe 650 pages. To read that passage at that point in the book was just devastating and crushing because the book is the book is very morose and dark and, and depressing. And to get to that point and to just have it the onslaught of the depression. Uh, I just remember reading that and just like the weight of this book like crush me. I, I never, I don't think I'd have to think about this. I don't think I've ever cried from a book, mm. but I came close with this book. <laughs> Just the, the weight of the book is like nothing I've ever read, even more than two, six, 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 this mm. book for me. Mm. Uh, but mm. that passage though is That's one of my strong. favorites of all literature. Yeah. Yeah. Astro, what, what is it about the savage detectives that makes you feel that way? A few things. Um, I think the book is ultimately, I think Bolaño's entire project is ultimately about the loss of innocence and naivete of a young idealistic child um, who will never get it back. And the, 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 the ultimately tragic nature of life that I think he sees in, in all things and uh, many other writers deal with this. And I think most of them who say that there's redemption are lying to themselves. Um, Michelle Hulebeck says this explicitly in his book, Serotonin, um, that they're lying and that there is no redemption. And he has very other colorful things to say. That, <laughs> that book is so dark. That? Yeah, I, yeah, that book yeah. is dark. So you remember what he says at the end? Mm, yeah, he, he says that this is the project of all writers, and he gives some examples of uh, the solutions that some writers find to like regain the innocence of youth. And mm. he talks about how some of them, like uh, he, he names uh, in remembrance of lost time. I can't believe I heard Please, I cannot believe I. Uh, how his the whole thing culminates in like when you're an old man you have to find a young 20 year old uh, who's got a young (laughs) pussy is what he says (laughs) and um the flip side of that coin is like dostoevsky and the brothers karamazov uh gives this speech where he's saying you have to retain the naivete and the, the 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 sincerity of childhood when you feel things strongly um, mm-hmm. You have to retain that. But I think Bolaño says you can't. 
Like it's mm-hmm. gone. I think he mm-hmm. says it's, it's gone. It's over. And there are implications for civilization as a whole, right? Because especially in like the book Amulet, but uh, by night in Chile as well. And 2666, he talks about how like many of these movements, these social movements and these countries that are trying to get out from underneath uh, the oppression of the sclerotic uh, gerontocracy, these movements are snuffed in their cradle. And uh, he laments that. And he, he definitely is talking about Chile and he's definitely talking about the socialists who were like not really able to get off the ground and go anywhere and how they had uh, this vision when they had this dream and they had all these aspirations and they were all crushed and how the, the, the people who backed Allende, a big part of it was a student movement. And the same thing in Mexico, mm-hmm. which is what the book Amulet is about. It was a student movement who were trying to like change the world and the regime came and snuffed them out uh, in the cradle and they never got to like realize their dreams. And for him, I think this is a metaphor and this is what the Savage Detectives is all about. It's that is a metaphor for an individual and an individual is a metaphor for the society. And in the Mm. Savage Detectives, you have the young idealistic guy who, who maybe was going to have somewhat of a sheltered or a limited life and limited in scope. And I think his uncle or whoever it was who funded him to go to school wanted him to be one thing, but I think a lawyer and he wanted to be a poet and he falls in with the uh, visceral realists and he has this adventure, you know, but, but then the adventure is over and he grows up to, to, to have real life and real life is sort of a disappointment and they all kind of wallow in obscurity. And uh, the other guy, Mario, I think his name was his the counterpart to Arturo Bolaño, Ulysses Lima, the real life character of him, like was this obscure poet in Mexico who died because he got hit by a car. Like the, one of the most ignoble deaths you can imagine just, Died in obscurity, just another number. Uh, hardly anyone to, you know, lament his death. His some of his poems were like written on napkins, mm-hmm. um, partially because I mean, this wasn't like Picasso going into a, a cafe and paying for his food because he was Picasso. This was a guy who was fucking homeless in Mexico City, who mm-hmm. like could only write on a napkin because he he was too poor to do anything else. And this is who Bolaño is. Uh, memorializing in this book and like the dreams that these guys had as like young writers to like go on and be whatever yeah. it is f- famous or fulfilling in some way established writers in some way um, never comes to pass now we can talk about the politics uh, of like the Chilean revolution and the Mexican revolution and the Mexican uh, student movement in the 70s but to be honest with you like I, I really think that that's a petty way to interpret literature and i think that's really like the left's job to like use <laughs> politics and it for me like if somebody is going to say well well you know pinochet was right and allende was going to doom chile anyway which i believe by the way i think mm. chile, uh, chile would have been doomed under allende um i don't know nearly enough about the situation to say but i'll, I'll well, take your word for it to overlook the 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 heart and the feeling and the and the and the just the guts that Bolaño spills and the tears that he spills over these people it speaks to something universal regardless of whether or not you right. agree with the politics yeah that's I mean yeah that, I think a good work of literature is always going to transcend whatever topical politics it's uh, uh, on, on the surface it's actually it's about you know but. so hopefully I 
made a good case for the Savage Detectives. No, you absolutely did. You you made a great case. Please please read the Savage Detectives if you haven't. And what what it's making me think of is as I as I age into into my podcast dotage, it makes me think of uh, that that scene or those scenes you were on when you were a young person and you were too naive to even know that you were on a scene. Mm. You were. Oh yes. Yes. That's why there, I love this book, bro. That's, yeah, it yeah. That, brought me back to that yeah. moment that I hadn't thought about that. I kind of shit on as an adult. Right. 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 You know that, what I mean? That, that one bar, that one club where everybody yeah. would be that one house where everybody would be. Right. And those moments are like, they're like fireworks in the sky. And yeah. you can't imagine it ever ending when you're in it, when you're young. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and there, that book captures that mm-hmm. as, as well as anything. And that's has. all, that's all bittersweet, right? Because it's like, yeah, you can't do that for your whole life, but also like, would you rather go back and have not done it? You know? Well, and then, of course, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then of course also yeah. here you have an older man mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. with a little more wisdom from from the the relatively cozy perch of spain mm-hmm. uh i think the med the med coast uh looking back on those kind of rough and wild days in mexico right. and then there was some bitterness uh which i which we touched on on the on the core episode yeah. for this from the people that he that he wrote about but that i think that's that's natural that's bound to happen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah, I mean, bitterness over this book, which I've read about, but also uh, a lot of people, you know, the way I was saying about my friends who felt like a personal connection to this and like personal investment in his legacy. Mm-hmm. These guys never met the guy. You know what right. I mean? These guys read his books when I read them, which was 10 years after they had made a, made a splash on right. the scene. Um, there were people who knew him in real life and who worked with him and who read his rough drafts and who were his editors and who was his publishers and, and, and really bound up and tied into his, uh, his life and his success was contingent upon them and vice versa. They really took issue with a lot of things that happened with his legacy. And uh, a lot of it seems petty to me, but I can understand Two, like imagine if your friend died or your 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 colleague or your uh, your what's the word? My podcast host. Yeah, co-host. one of us. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like no, no. and y- you meticulously took care of their legacy, and it was all going perfectly well according to plan. And then it blows up, and a whole bunch of other hands get put in the pot, and a whole bunch of other people get involved right. who are only like six degrees of separation related to the guy. Never met him don't understand his work on the level that you understand it and want to change his legacy to market it. Um, right. Ugh. Yeah. And I don't let it affect me. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why it should affect any of us. It doesn't change the books at all. Yeah. Right. But I can see why it was battled over, especially mm-hmm. his wife. Uh, I guess in, I think you guys said this in your show, your guys episode, by the way, is really impressive. It's the only place I've seen, I mean, you, first of all, you spent three hours on it, which is dedication in and of itself right there. But you covered the impression that people had of him. You covered the works themselves with your own interpretation of it, as well as just like a synopsis, like a, like a straightforward synopsis and some biologic, uh, biographical details of him. You got all of that in there, which is like very difficult to do. 
Um, that's how we roll, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's good. that's it's what we good. do. Artofdarkpod.com, <laughs> patreon.com slash artofdarkpod for the After Dark episode that's coming. It's coming soon. We're going to talk yeah. about was Roberto Bolaño a junkie. Yeah. I want to stick with Bolaño, uh, but you guys are going to come on my podcast, and I, I really want you guys to spend a lot of time exploring and explaining the theme of the art of darkness because <laughs> for me, and we're going to leave it here, because okay. this could take over the rest of the talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but this is me reverting to my, my hosting. Yeah, for you know? sure. I get it. I get it. You get it. Yeah, it happens when I go to... on other shows, too. Yeah. I start asking them questions. And I'm right. like, oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. For me, like, <laughs> every two or three years, you know the cat meme where the cat is holding the paper and the person tweets, I'm going to buy a boat or something? <laughs> every two or three years, I'll read, you know, a, a, a grip of books. And I'll, like put that chapter away move start start the next phase right and I, yeah. i'll be the cat meme and i'll be like wow every book i read is like suicidally depressing like right. why is that <laughs> like, <laughs> right 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 and that's like what your show is about yeah um and you guys have a sh- an episode about um it's either coming out or it's already out about mm-hmm. burrows is it out yet we have a burrows yeah our good. first episode is about burrows We'll oh, do okay, an, yeah. We're going to do another episode about Burroughs because, believe it or not, we had no idea what we were doing in the first episode. So, no, tell me about it. Man. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I just started figuring out like how to have a podcast, even though yeah. like twelve episodes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bologna was a big fan of his, and he mentions him in the Savage Detectives. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some there's some references that any reader of Naked Lunch would catch in two six six six. So Bologna knows what he's doing, and he knows he's establishing. I mean, he's conscientious of the tradition that he's writing, but he's also establishing, he's leaving breadcrumbs for you. Mm-hmm. And it would be really hard to miss them. And, you know, for me, I read him when I was like late 30s. I think I might have been like 36 or 37 when I first read him, 35, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a lifetime of reading behind me. But I, I have to imagine that for like a young guy who, who this is like one of his first forays into like serious literature to follow the Bolaño breadcrumb trail has to i mean uh, you could spend a whole entire lifetime doing it i mean i picked right. up a bunch of new authors new to me because he he said something about them or i still plan to read others at some mm-hmm. point that i haven't gotten to yet uh, but as a young guy who hasn't read some of the people he talks about like kerouac and burroughs and others the beats mm-hmm. um i mean did you guys think that like the visceral realism and the uh, i forgot what they were the real life what was the real life kind of realist did you see that kind of as them trying to be like the next beats that's I how did. i took it when i yeah. read it yeah. yeah 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 and they are sort of proto-punk so between yeah the right beats right punks right something like that yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think i sat there yeah a little bit dada kind of yeah yeah part of that i think was my i had a big i had a big beat phase oh, so, so yeah i knew all that i knew all that all that beat literature and and their yeah. lives and all that right crap, right so i mean are you a white literary man in america if you haven't yes had, <laughs> had passed through that phase but yeah you know, I, I you know i i yeah i guess I'm well not you know all you were going <laughs> no, hate them some people yeah. hate them yeah i don't know I, I don't um i i'm not as enthralled with kerouac as i was 
Yeah, um, I'm actually more enthralled with Burroughs than I was, to be honest. I think he's like, the better writer. Yeah, yeah he is. Every yeah, time yeah. I read something, uh, go back to something of his, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot this guy was a total genius. I, I think I just read yeah. everything that Hunter ever wrote. Not mm. not related, but that was my mm. version of the Beats. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I see the Beats, Hunter and Bukowski all kind of in the same sphere, even though they're not obviously not. And Bukowski even says like, but if you were to take like a zoomed out art historical perspective, you would put them all together. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. Mid mid century American masculine Mm. Renaissance or something. Yeah. 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 And really, and also kind of Western, even though the beats were out East, there's like, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about this genealogy, like who picked, picked it up. The only person that comes to mind in the eighties who was of the eighties that I can think of, is uh, William T. Volman. I don't know if you guys have read him. A little bit. He's little really bit. well known for these like doorstopper tomes that are like a thousand pages long. But in the eighties, he wrote these little like paperback. Novel, yeah, you write Shining Angels yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Horse for Gloria yeah. and uh, the Butterfly Stories. I think it was called. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and those are that's the only thing I've read by him. Oh, okay, okay. And he was totally trying. Oh, Dennis Johnson too is another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Early the, the great Johnson, Dennis yeah. Johnson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But after yeah. them, though, man, I think it, I think it was over. Like Brett Easton Ellison, Ellis is. I get what he's doing, but he's. I don't know. He wasn't. <laughs> He's right. I, I think I think he's brilliant. This is not knocking him at all, but he's well, and we might have mentioned this on the episode we did. Brett Easton Ellis. He's Be careful. I want to get him on the podcast. Right. Oh, so, right. He's a brilliant. Writer. Right. He's in te- but he was intentionally writing exactly. about surfaces. He's intentionally. It's intentionally superficial. Self. Yeah, that's what yeah. that's the problem, though. That's what yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. It became meta. And the mm-hmm. writers became aware of themselves and they became right. aware of the tradition and they became mm-hmm. aware of like this thing that people did. Yeah. And they did it spontaneously right. with Kerouac and them and Henry Miller. Right. right. And this. and for all the all the problems you might have with Kerouac, Kerouac was literally like crying beside the a road somewhere in yeah. you know in New Mexico or something. And it's like again, you might not like the actual poetry, but like he was he was getting trying to get into the heart of things. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a controversial <laughs> statement maybe. Uh for me, I'll take something that's bad over something that's highly polished if the yeah. thing that's bad has heart and the thing that's highly polished is like very mechanical and yeah. and yeah. and you know let's let's be real here for a second some of bolaño is bad <laughs> yeah he, i mean it's just indeed. This. Yeah, yeah, he's not the greatest poet of all time. He's not. No, he didn't no. become known for his poetry. No, yeah. well, can, and yeah. and two, 2666, for all its greatness, he could have tightened it up a little bit. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> I, Big I don't know that he had time, Brett. He I had no time. Yet. I know he didn't. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I hope to reach a tenth of it at some point in my life. But, it but not all of it, though. Right. Only parts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. you're saying, right? Right, like, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, who's he? He was like he was also bit. an answer to a kind of twee quality that had become ascendant in Latin American letters with the magical realism yeah. and right. at least we're going to write about Latin American um, stuff that had made it to America to America to right, the US. and that was another element that the people sort of resented the, and worried about this idea that okay, well, so why do the gringos like this so much? What is this saying about uh, what they think about who we are? Mm. Uh, there's always that tension right between Latin America and then the great Satan to the north, yeah. uh, and 
I don't know what else to say about it, but that was there in the air for sure. Mm-hmm. When they, no, I mean, yeah, it, dude, that, go ahead. Yeah. No, and it was just a case of like, that. this always happens. Oh, we knew Roberto when he was a smelly poet in exactly. Mexico. And, <laughs> and what do you mean he's on the, what do you mean? He, so he's dead and now these novels are the best seller in America. Like right. it doesn't, doesn't compute, yeah. Yeah. you know, if you knew him, I'm sure. Yeah. It's got to feel very strange. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, why um, don't we, why don't we, if, if you guys don't mind, maybe we read that passage from, uh, I'm blanking on what the other passage was. Yeah. But uh, you said it was your favorite. by Night in Chile? Yes. Yes, please. And then maybe we'll kind of wind down if that's cool with people. Yeah, yep. we're gonna, then, but we're going to mm-hmm. do the. We are going to come back more time. Break, we'll do another we'll 20, 30 minutes on the After Dark episode for cool. Patreon subscribers at uh, patreon.com slash art of dark pod please genuinely uh, support the show if you like what you're doing if you've listened all the way through here uh, just you know I think what the donations start at like three bucks three a bucks. month you know yeah. if you know if you, if you can't get three bucks a month out of the couch yeah. then I don't know what you're doing go write a poem on a napkin <laughs> once a month and laminate bed. it, put it up yeah. in the shower. Well, you know, go <laughs> go down to the the bodega or the Seven Eleven if you're in flyover. Yeah. Go down to the go down to the Holiday Station if you're in New York City. Go to the bodega and say, "I want to subscribe to Art of Darkness <laughs> podcast." You're gonna want to really be yeah. loud when yeah. you're saying it. Make sure you <laughs> haven't showered for a while and say, "I give me a napkin." Yeah, and, and I'm gonna write you a poem. And then you're going to give me $3 and I'm going to support the show. Okay. I like it. I like that. That's a good, uh, that, that seems like a good business model, Kevin. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm behind that. <laughs> and, Are you finding uh, it, Astro? Well, you know what's interesting? I, I, I love just, the cover just, of this thing. I'm seeing yeah, the cover it's, of the It's book. my favorite cover it's, of all it's time. It's quite good. Yeah. You know what, guys? I yeah. just stumbled upon something that I didn't catch the first time. Wow. Um. So he's constantly throwing out the names of authors that you've never heard of. And mm. he makes up fictitious authors. Yes. So for a long time, and the distant star, he does that constantly. Uh, I didn't know who was real and who was he, he made up. Turns out mm. a lot of them are real. Mm. And I'm going through this, and he's talking about Ernst Younger. And he's talking Ooh. about all these books he wrote, Storm of Steel, obviously, on the wow. Marvel Cliffs. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's, I don't even remember this passage and I didn't know who Younger was when I read this book. So I have to go mm. back now. It looks like I've Same highlighted a bunch of passages of with Younger. We're going to um, do uh, uh, Younger uh, later this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, we do have an episode on Younger coming up. Mm-hmm. What else do we have coming up? We got some good stuff, Brad. I think I we're doing, we're doing so- our toe. We are our doing toe our toe with the great up. Adam Lairs coming on. Adam I am so deep in Hieronymus Bosch research right now that I don't know if I'm ever coming up. Did you see that uh, tweet Amanda Milius just shared? I did not, no. Oh, she was criticizing a, uh, there's there's some new, uh, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a museum or a university, I forgot who it is, but they're doing a series on in-depth, you know, analyses on art, like okay. an hour long episode each about a different artist and she mm. shared one about Hieronymus Bosch. Oh, really? That they were criticizing him saying it was Christian propaganda and they were saying that it's not licentious and pornographic. It's actually, mm. uh, you know, puritanical. Um, that is, that is actually the 
prevailing academic interpretation right yeah, now. Yeah, I imagine there's truth to it too. There is she well, didn't like yeah. the interpretation, but I think there's some truth to it. It yeah, sounds I, like there might be some commies at that at that institution. Um, <laughs> impossible. <laughs> we got we rooted all them out. Are you, you telling me that there, there is a leftist interpretation coming out of a current day right. Western right. institution? Uh, but that is great, Brad. I'm glad you've taken yeah. the Bosch pill. That is exciting. It's uh, uh, it's it's literally yeah it's gonna be great because we haven't done anybody nearly that old there's no biographical data about him it's gonna be great i promise and then uh pk dick with uh the great aldous hysterion is coming on yeah phil k dick is a huge spiritual and intellectual oh he's influence on my show and me yeah yeah he's uh uh, he's a big deal you know what i think (laughs) you know what i think um i feel like this is provable by uh, recourse to something written somewhere that I haven't read yet. But <laughs> I think the structure of Naked Lunch, I think he structured that book after a Hieronymus Bosch painting. I yeah, think that, that book is a Hieronymus Bosch triptych. And that I would... think the part of the about the crimes is like Bolaño trying to recreate the literary recreation of the Bosch triptych that's what i think i love that and i think it's real <laughs> i love that I, look i mean when i was coming up as a as a playwright i would one of my favorite things is to wander around the tate modern in yeah. london yeah. listening to the downward spiral on my headphones <laughs> yeah and, and that's and, a vibe right and then <laughs> learning that that you could take literary structure this ineffable strange metaphor that structure is uh from any other work of art, a symphony, and you go, oh, I could write a play like that, or I could write a novel like that. Uh, a statue, you could pull ideas and then apply them to different media. It's so rewarding when you're young and you realize that. I love that you said that, and I don't yeah. think people talk about that enough, and it's, yeah. it needs to be evoked more. And when I said I locked myself in my apartment writing that novel, listening to depressing music, <laughs> uh, the downward spiral was uh, one of the main yeah. a, albums. It's, uh, it's a good uh, album, yeah. Uh, and, and 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 of course, the, and the and the the great Johnny Cash cover at the end. <laughs> oh, I don't think that was on. Oh, right. I, That's I, a joke. It's for just, All right, I found the inside joke. Yeah, on yeah our there you go. No, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, this passage is sort of apropos of nothing at this point. Cause That's fine. Lo- I love time it. Time to follow, find it. That's all right. Um, you know the critic James Wood. Some name rings. I know spell, the name. Yeah. I couldn't tell you yeah. anything yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's it. That's it. He wrote a book that I read, but the name is a, but it's got a very simple name, like what the novel is or how the novel works or something like that. And he was a critic for like the New Republic and the New York Times. Uh, and he pointed this passage out in his review of this book. And he says it's like one of the best passages he's ever read. He, he reproduces the, the thing. This is in a, in a New York Times book review, a short article. Uh, he reproduces this passage in whole because it's that good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take a little sip here. Mm-hmm. Looking him up, James Wood. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's he's okay. He's good. He's worth reading. How Fiction Works, I think, is probably Yeah, How Fiction Works, about. right. Let's see here. Um, it's kind of long. I gotta find where it starts actually. Okay, so uh, Kevin, you've read this, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you remember he's talking about Falcons here. Aha. Uh-huh. So Teguele, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Teguele is a Falcon. So Father Fabrice, we're on for, Teguele in full flight, scattering not just flocks of pigeons, but also flocks of starlings, which were in which were in those long gone happy days were common in the countryside of Provence where Sordel, Sordello, which Sordello wandered once and Teguele flew off and disappeared among the low clouds, the clouds descending from the desecrated yet somehow still pure hills of Avignon. And while Father Fabrice and I conversed, Teguele appeared again like a lightning bolt on the abstract idea or the abstract idea of a lightning bolt and swooped on the huge flocks of starlings coming out of the west like swarms of flies, darkening the sky with their erratic fluttering. And after a few minutes, the fluttering of the starlings was bloodied, scattered and bloodied. An afternoon on the outskirts of Avignon took on a deep red hue, like the color of sunset seen from an airplane or the color of dawns when the passenger is woken gently by the engine whistling in his ears and lifts up the little blind and sees the horizon marked with a red line, like the planet's femoral artery or the planet's aorta gradually swelling, and I saw that swelling blood vessel in the sky over Avignon, the blood-stained flight of the starlings. Teguele splashed color like an abstract expressionless painter. Ah, the peace, the harmony of nature, nowhere as evident as the unequivocal as in Avignon. And then Father Fabrici whistled and we waited for an indefinable time, measured only by the beating of our hearts, until our quivering warrior came to rest upon his arm. It, that seemed actually Ooh. a little melodramatic. I like no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's evocative. I that is it. that is not about a hawk. Right. No. <laughs> right. It's about a lot of other things, yeah. man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, look, I don't think we're going to top that. We're going to try on the After Dark episode. Uh, yeah. Astral, thank you so much for coming on. People can yeah. find you at AFSCast on the Bird website. Uh, do you want to pitch your pitch your Substack as well? Yeah, the Substack. Um, one thing I don't like about the format of the Substack is to get to everything there. You have to scroll, 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 and then you have to click see more. So I'm trying to figure that out. But for right now, the Substack has about 12 episodes of my podcast and maybe 10 long form uh, essays I wrote and one piece of fiction so far. Mm. And uh, it's astralflight.substack.com. You can link it in my bio. My pinned tweet always has a link. And my 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 um my podcast is about primarily about literature and film and and art in the world today in the digital world today. Yeah. You guys will be the perfect guests for that when you yeah. come on. Let's do it. We'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk offline about that for All sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take five. Let's go. Maybe read a little bit. A little Bukowski. I'm gonna refill my vodka. There yeah, you go. There, there you go. go. And uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn off the Zoom. We're gonna come back. We're gonna do the After Dark uh, ArtofDarkPod.com, Patreon.com/slash/ArtofDarkPod. Support the show. You want to hear more? That would be great. And then uh, in those five minutes, I'm just gonna go sit and think about all of the hyper intense moments that I had when I was on these scenes in my 20s living life at a at a valence at a at a at a level of energy that I will never experience again <laughs> <laughs> and I might shed a little tear yeah. about it yeah all right hey thanks again for coming on astral really appreciate it the pleasure was all mine I'm, I'm all right man oh no it's great I, and I hope you can come back another time I'd love to awesome all right see you boys in a bit Bye.